The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. Tentacle Tuesday has dawned once more. Let us slither further to see if the tables can be flipped, if the tides can be turned, as the cult of the Gyatso seems to be in full control. <laughs> Our hero, Detective Stevens, has been captured, being taken by Rogers to the Church of Ione. Will he fall? Will the cult and Master Rune strip him of his soul and offer him as a ritual sacrifice to Ikyatsu? And let's not forget Hicks, bound to a chair in a secret chamber as the hours tick away slowly towards her inevitable end. Is there no hope? No chance of escape? Hmm? I wonder... A quick reminder before we continue our story that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and poultry language. <laughs> Why poultry? Because poultry is foul! <laughs> oh, I amuse myself so much. <laughs> now it's time to grab your tentacles once again as we join the story with Chapter 3. Escape. Detective Stevens faded in and out of consciousness as Detective Rogers took him and tossed him into the back of the ambulance. Somehow he managed to avoid the full force of the butt of the gun. He could hear Rogers talking to himself, going over whatever his plans were as if talking to someone standing next to him. Yes, yes, this is exactly what I planned. I will take him to Master Rune, Mistress, and then we, we can torture him, maybe even make him one of us. Then he felt the other two bodies get tossed on top of him. He listened as the door slammed, and he could hear Rogers making his way to the front of the ambulance. The radio was still squawking as the request for assistance flooded the channel until out of disgust. Detective Rogers clicked it off. They should have all died, he muttered, and then he started up the ambulance and turned on the sirens. At first, he had to keep his deception of going to St. Teresa's, but now he was speeding off, probably headed to the road leading to the Church of INA. He felt the ambulance make a sharp turn, and he and the two dead bodies slid across the floor a few loose pieces of equipment, and PPE scattered from above. Rogers, in his haste, hadn't secured anything. He wondered as he lied there if there was anything he could use to subdue Rogers when they arrived at. No. Before they arrived. Once at the Church of INA, he'd be greatly outnumbered. Not to mention, he didn't want round three with Master Rune. This time, Rune would definitely have the advantage. That meant he only had a few minutes to outwit Rogers. Like after the explosion, he mentally checked himself over. Besides the massive lump on his head, he seemed fine. Plus, he wasn't tied up. Rogers needed to flee the scene before he was discovered, had ironically left him with his best chance for escape. Sitting up, he eyed the two bodies. The one man was roughly his size. 
Taking off his coat and pulling it over the dead man was not easy as the ambulance bounced to and fro. It was now clear they had turned off the main road. This was good, he thought to himself. These back roads were narrow and seldom used. Plus, it might give him the extra time he needed to enact his plan. He grabbed some of the heavy adhesive tape that fell and took off his beloved fedora, placing it in the hand of the man who now adorned his coat. Then, he started charging the AED. He would only get one shot at this. He lifted the man's body off the floor, and they nearly went flying out the back doors as they hit a large bump in the road. Luckily, he was able to catch himself and brace himself against a back wall next to the doors. Using his foot to open them, they banged loudly as they hit another pothole. Then, with everything he had, Stevens tossed the body into the darkness and then hung on for his life. Within seconds, the ambulance came to a screeching halt, causing everything to go flying out the back, everything but the AED he had grabbed. He could hear Rogers cursing up a storm as he slammed the ambulance door and headed towards the rear. He watched through the open crack as first Rogers checked the loose debris and started heading towards the body that wore his coat and fedora. As he did so, Stevens crouched down ready to pounce, a paddle in each hand. You know, you're a real pain in the ass, detective, Rogers said, approaching the still body. But I think I told you that before, haven't I? He stumbled a little as he began to lean down, tripping on some of the roots near the edge of the road. It was then Stevens jumped at him from behind with all his might. Rogers whirled around at the sound of the ambulance doors banging open, but because of the rocky surface, was unable to brace himself to repel the detective's attack. As the paddles landed on the surprised man's face, Stevens sent an electric jolt through them. Rogers grabbed at them and hollered in obvious pain as he stumbled back into the brush. As he fell, Stevens grabbed the gun that Rogers had taken earlier. He had lodged it in his belt, leaving it exposed. You! Tim screamed at him in rage. The area where the paddles had hit had torn away the facade of humanity, revealing an almost shadow-like interior. His eye blazed red, almost as if it was a flame hanging in the darkness of space. How many times do I need to kill you? He screamed, his razor-sharp teeth gnashing like a wild dog's. Apparently, Stevens retorted, at least once more. Without hesitating, he pulled the trigger on the gun. Rogers almost looked helpless as he fell back stunned, falling into the brush, reaching out as he did so many years ago to take Cassandra's hand. He went to grasp the dreamlike image, but she wasn't there. No one was. Detective Stevens took no time to mourn for the big man. Whatever had consumed his humanity, his soul had happened a long time ago. He couldn't afford to feel sorry for him. He pulled his coat and hat off the dead man and lifted the body and carried it back to the ambulance. He wrapped it and the other man's body into a couple blankets reserved for cases of shock and neatly laid them out on the ambulance floor. Heavenly Father, please watch over these poor unfortunate souls. Taking the keys, he locked the vehicle he didn't want to take a chance of an animal or something else getting to the corpses. He also realized he didn't have time to head back to either the destroyed precinct or to the hospital, and taking the ambulance directly to the Church of INA would be foolish. No, he would have to hoof it from here. The cool air of the early November morning caressed his face as he pushed his way towards an old path. He hadn't taken it since he was a boy, but he knew it well. Once again, he began to think back to the Cullen case and the tunnels under the cemetery. 
Although he helped seal them, he now suspected the cult was using them to circumnavigate without the police detecting them. It was probably how they snatched those 12 girls. If that's so, he too could play that game. He opened his phone. It was 1.37 a.m. If he was right, the cult would have ceased any further activity until sunset tomorrow. From what he could gather, they'd be using the power of the new moon to accomplish their goals. That also meant that he had to end this and them by tonight. He wondered, if he failed, how long would he have to wait for another chance? It had been 10 years since the Cadric Order made its last appearance, but that case had been different. It didn't involve astronomical conditions. This much he had figured out from yesterday. The etchings on the floor of the Thomas House had depicted the new moon rising and that thing devouring worlds. He now understood what they were attempting. That thing... That must be Ikyatsu. He wondered, how could something like that exist? It sure didn't line up with anything he'd been taught. And then, it occurred to him, maybe the cult was using it. Is that how they destroyed the police station? Then a horrible thought crossed his mind. Rogers must have... the tablet. If he hadn't... No. That wouldn't have mattered. Rune had planned this from the beginning. The silver ball-like thing he had tossed, it, along with Rogers, had acted like bait. The tablet must have provided the doorway. If so, what had interrupted the connection that caused it to stop? Then it hit him, the gas explosion. If it or someone had caused the gas line to go up, breaking the tablet? Of course, and with the tablet broken, the connection would have been severed and... Did that mean they were safe tonight? No. I'm sure they must have another way. The question is, how do we stop them from calling it forth again tonight? It was very unlikely that they could get that lucky again. His phone vibrated. He flipped it open, and for the first time in two days he felt hope, and it came in two words. Elios de Lection. It was Jonah. He was alive, and the message told him exactly where to go and where to meet him, the place he had met him when he was ten, his grandfather's cottage, on the hill between the two cemeteries. He sent Jonah a quick message and pushed forward with a little more purpose in his step. He said, On my way. Detective Rogers' eyes snapped open as he stared up at the pitch-black sky through the branches above him. His head buzzed as he slowly put his hand to his face. An icy, cold energy met his fingers. He felt around it, trying to ascertain where the flesh ended and where the dark energy hung open. Fuck. Everything he had worked for. Everything was ruined. He had completely failed. Stevens lived. Ikyatsu had been forced back to the in-between, and he, as he was, was useless. He went to pull himself up and wound up sliding back down into the brush. The gunshot wound had really done more damage than he expected. Finally, after a few minutes, he stumbled his way back to the ambulance. He wouldn't be able to track Stevens. Not through the woods. Not with these injuries. Not with the loss of this amount of time. No. But there was another fish he could fry. He'd been made aware of the capture of Hicks by Claire Thomas, and her hopes to use her as a means to bring back her daughter Wendy. Fine, he thought to himself. He went to start the ambulance, but the keys were gone. Damn it! He turned 
and he headed up the dirt road, but not to the church of INA as originally planned. He would head to the vault, the place he had created when working on the sharp case. There they had secretly prepared the children for sacrifice. The ache in his fractured face only made him smile malignantly. Poor, poor Hicks, he thought to himself. She had no clue, and now he'd get to show her in person what type of wrath Stevens had brought forth. Jonah received the message and smiled. Good, Stevens was still alive. He would need his old friend to help end this. As he and Alex traveled, he heard a distant scream and reached out to see who or what it was. Curious, it was the same presence that had pulled Miss Kuchma into the labyrinth. That meant Maggie had been successful. He changed direction and headed towards the terrified sound. Then he saw her, a pale girl, about ten. Her black dress had been torn and the wings of a largot had her in its grasp. Its mandibles clicked excitedly as it drooled all over the girl, searing her as it did. She screamed again as she begged, Please, stop, please, I'm like you, please! But it only tilted its head briefly in an inquisitive stance before lunging at the girl. As she screamed again, a burst of blue light flashed and the Largot immediately let go of the girl. It turned quickly on the approaching man, but had barely moved when another blast ignited its frame. Like every one of its joints locked up at once, buckling, making a hideous noise as it crumbled into ash at the man's feet. Wendy Thomas looked up, eyes full of tears. Why? Why did you save me? He just stared at her. His eyes, not terrifying, but kind. Mother had been wrong. Wrong about so many things. She began to stand, her spirit regaining its structure after the damage from the Largot. Um, thank you, she said. She was still uncertain, still confused. Her mother had allowed her to be eaten by Ikiatsu. Her mother had allowed her soul to be placed into a soul jar. Her mother had. The man began to turn away and head towards where he needed to go, where he needed to take Alex. She swallowed hard and bowed, saying, If, if you open the doorway, if you let me out, I promise, I promise to help. He gave her an inquisitive look, smiling again, so warm, his voice soft yet firm. As you wish, he said, and with a wave of his hand, the labyrinth shook and a crack opened in the passageway behind her. Wendy bowed once more, saying, Thank you. She stepped to the crack. Jonas smiled and sealed the door behind her. It was unexpected help, but... He turned to Alex, only a little further. Then, I have a friend you... Actually, I think you two may have already met. Hicks' sense of time told her it was now long past midnight, and whatever part she was supposed to play in this high mass, in this nightmare, had not come to fruition. She looked over at Michael. He was huddled on the floor incessantly crying in front of the rusty storage shelves, the blue tint of his spirit now mixing with a darker red current. Hicks wasn't sure, should she console him or admonish him? But at this point, anything to make the crying stop would be welcome. Hey, she said softly, hoping to invoke her hidden motherly side. Hey, she said again, do you know what they're planning on doing with me? At first he went quiet, 
saying nothing, not even moving. Then, slowly, with a pained look, he turned to her. Getting up off the floor, he swayed back and forth, as if he was in a drunken stupor. Oh, yes, I know. A sickly smile creased his face as he leaned into her, standing almost face to face. Hicks gulped. His demeanor was changing, and a hunger and anger was radiating from his spirit. She took a deep breath and looked up at him with pleading eyes. Tell me, what? They're going to strip you down and lay you on a stone table in front of the altar of Shekla Thor. Then, Master Rune will take a sacred dagger and cut you. Not deep enough to kill you, just deep enough to open your skin, exposing the fatty tissues that lie beneath, exposing your blood. Then, he'll raise a chalice filled with the blood of our mistress, the Lady Cassandra. <laughs> it will spread through the wound like a spider web, infesting your body forcing your soul to corrupt or rip itself out of your body to preserve itself. His eyes yellowed as he spoke, his tone getting colder, harsher with each passing moment. Then we'll stick your soul into a mason jar and give your body to one of the sisters. You'll be a doll with a human body and pretend feelings as to trick those mindless norms. Then what he said next really gave her the chills, as even for a spirit, it was clear he was feverish, sick, polluted somehow. I hear we're going to do the same with Alex. <laughs> then I can be with her forever. Hicks stiffened up, trying to keep herself together. Warm, soft, motherly wasn't working. She decided to change tones. Michael, is that what you really want for Alex? To become a doll? I thought you liked her. The harshness in her tone seemed to reach him as his spirit fluctuated a little. Yes. No. No, it's not. Oh, mother, what are you doing? What am I doing? I can save her if you help me. Defy mother? Rescue Alex, she reaffirmed, hoping he would slip out of the growing sickness. How? he asked, looking at her lornfully. I'm not sure yet, she answered. She didn't want to lie to him. Too many people, too many things had done that already, creating the sickness that was festering inside of him. She knew she needed to reach him, the boy who really likes Alex. Then what good are you? He started to snap, and then quietly he said, I'm sorry. I I'm losing myself. It's the effects of Mother's powers. While she's not as strong as Lady Cassandra... Because she's just the husk of a doll herself, she's, she is still a puppet in the service of him. Him? She wasn't sure she wanted to know. All these creatures, dolls mimicking humans, souls in mason jars, she wasn't sure how much more she could take. Above them, they heard a door unlatch and swing open as someone began to descend down the stairs. Instantly, Michael returned to his jar, and Hicks went quiet trying to figure out who was approaching. The footsteps were heavier than Claire's as they lumbered towards them. Then she saw the encroaching shadow of Detective Rogers. At first her heart leapt for joy. That was until he turned his face towards her. Half of it was missing. A swirling void hung in the frame that used to be his eye socket and cheek. 
A red eye flickered angrily, its gaze falling upon her. Do you see what your boyfriend did to me? He said, nearly screaming as he marched over to where she sat. Boyfriend, she thought to herself. He must be Warren. The anger emanating from him was oppressive, and she could feel herself shaking as he gripped the sides of the chair, bringing his face against hers. A foul, rotting stench filled her nostrils. Please, I don't know what you're talking about. Ha! I'd like to believe that, Hicks, he said, and then, as if he was realizing something. Actually, I honestly don't care anymore. If I can't kill Stevens... I can at least make him suffer. He lifted her, tossing the chair backwards so it hit into one of the makeshift walls. Hicks' body groaned. She ferociously tugged at the bonds, hoping that maybe something had loosed. Shit, no dice. She stared up at him, terrified. I wish I could record that look and play it back for him over and over, he said. He began to march towards her again, and she braced herself for another blow. Stevens has managed to free himself and now pushes through the darkness towards a cemetery? Are you ready to memorialize yourself? Or are we about to learn a new twist about you and your past? And Hicks, an old friend of mine once said, by the tingling of my thumbs, Detective Rogers this way comes. Not a direct quote, mind you, but... We do wish to avoid libel. <laughs> oh, and what a nasty tease. But I do love making my listeners suffer as we wait to find out Geraldine's fate. Next week, we catch a glimpse of the distant past. A hint of things before this story. As we head to Chapter 14, The Cottage at Sims Divide. <laughs> 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 <laughs>